name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I want to first welcome uh, Father John and his family. I feel a little bit, in, this is, these are the days where you're a little intimidated for uh, those that taught me to uh, preach are here evaluating me. So if I do, don't do well, it's their fault. <laughs> this is a very delightful day uh, in our journey, Advent journey, where we celebrate uh, the life of the Holy Apostle Andrew, and in many ways, the life of all the Apostles. Uh, it's a beautiful gospel reading because you begin to see the transition of John the Baptist's ministry to the ministry of Christ. Or it says it begins at the time John was standing with two of his disciples. And most of the disciples of Christ were disciples of John first. And he looked at Jesus and he walked and he said, which is a very prophetic thing to say, Behold the Lamb of God. He he. he he prophesied his sacrifice. For to a Jew, a lamb was a sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God. It must have been kind of confusing to them. <laughs> what, is, what is he saying here? And you can see all through this text that there was this, this beginning to understand of the disciples. Um, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? It's always incredibly interesting that the Lord never compromises your own will. He always will ask you, What do you seek? He even did that when he went at the pool of Bethesda, where the man was, was crippled and wanted to get into the water. You remember what he said to him? What do you want me to do for you? It's like, was there any question? Yes, there was in the mind of Christ, to be sure not to compromise one's will. And then he, and then he said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are thou staying? And he said, come and see. And we see these words again used by the disciple when, he, when uh, Philip wanted Nathaniel to come to see Jesus, come and see. We're going to work off of those words a little bit, for I think those words are very pertinent to us. And then once he found Philip, he said to Philip, follow me, as he's gathering his disciples. And then again, Nathaniel says, and calls him the Son of God and the King of Israel. So you see the gathering of the disciples is not just a gathering, but it's a realization of Christ being the Messiah, Christ being the Son of God, Christ being the sacrificial lamb for the nation of Israel, for the whole world. But these words, come and see and follow me, are, are what stuck out to me uh, when I was reading this text. Come and see, beloved. Because we don't see unless we come. 
You know, I was thinking about this just as we journey into the church. We journey here. Come and see. The Lord is bidding you that every Sunday. Every time you come to the church, He says, come and see. And when you walk in those doors, you know, we, we just kind of sometimes, I wouldn't say barge in because I don't think we're that way. But I think we don't realize what we're coming to see. When you walk in those doors, did you know that Christ prays for your marriage every time you walk in? The marriage icon is there, and it's there for a purpose. Because I want God to bless your marriages. Christ prays for your marriage. He blesses your marriage when you come in. He's sitting at the wedding of Cana with his disciples and the mother of God. When you walk down that aisle, you venerate, if you can, the icon of St. Zinia, a beloved of St. Petersburg, who visited us with uh, her, her icon began to emit oil. And we were blessed by that. One of our, one of our own was healed uh, of, a, of, a, of an emotional distress time through that icon. And then you look on the left and you have the blessing of St. John of Kronstadt. You have the blessing of St. Seraphim, St. John Maximovich, and St. Raphael. Beloved, those aren't just icons. The, the very presence of those saints are there for you. Come and see. Come and see them. And we sit in this beautiful uh, haven in the midst of Isla Vista. I remember when uh, Chancellor Yang from the university came here and we brought him into the church. His, he went, oh, this is not Isla Vista. It took his breath away because it's a holy place and you're surrounded not just by beautiful pictures but by the saints. Beloved Irene and Marina, Paraskeva, Catherine, Anastasia, and Fotini. <laughs> you know, we, we look at those kind of, they're not to us historic figures. They're really present with us, praying with us, praying for us. Then we go down this row and you see St. John of Damascus, the great defender of the incarnation through his preaching for iconography. And St. George, a warrior king, a warrior, a warrior, a battling warrior Christian man saint. St. John Climacus, the writer of the great ladder that we climb to heaven through. St. Gregory Palamas, the great hesychist who taught the world to pray deeply. And St. Ephraim the Syrian, who we, he enters our life every Lent. Lord, take from me a spirit of laziness, faint-heartedness, love of power, and idle talk. Freely give to me your servant a spirit of soberness, humility, patience, and love. Yes, O Lord and King, grant that I may see my own faults and not condemn my brother. For you are blessed unto ages of ages. Amen. Those are his words. St. Ephraim. And then the favorite of all, St. Nicholas, the great generous bishop, who I have the great honor, humbling honor to call my patron, who prays for us and for this world. 
and surrounding us and the, and the icons, we see the Lord, we see the Mother of God, we see St. John, St. Athanasius, and the beloved angels, Michael and Gabriel, surrounding us, praying with us, praying for us. Beloved, come and see. Don't come into the church just taking it for granted. Come in looking. Pay attention to what's there. Allow the saints to come to you. Allow the saints to pray with you. We, we, we have a great opportunity in this ancient faith which was handed down from, from generation to generation that we could enter the heavenly places when we come to church. We can get into them. Through the beauty of the church itself, we see this. And then the very simplicity that is given to us in other things that are granted through the traditions. The blessing of the Holy Cross. The life-giving cross. You know, we, we cross ourselves, I pray, and I pray I don't do it, taking it for granted and just do it as a habit. You know, they, they say, the, uh, they call it the helicopter one. No, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You want a blessing of the cross. Bless yourself with the cross of Christ, the power against the enemy, the defeater of the devil. The demons flee the cross. They can't stand with it. You, ble- you, you, you take the cross and you bless your children with it. You bless your animals with it. For healing, for help. Take advantage. Come and see. And then we see candles lit. The light of Christ illumines all. These aren't simple candles for us. They don't mean to us that you know we kind of like the ambiance. We're trying to create a feeling. You know, oh, it's so beautiful. I like candles. I love the smell of beeswax. I do, but that's not what they're there for. They're there to reveal to us the very divine light of Christ. When you light your candle, or when you look at the candle, see the light of God. Come and see. Come and see. And then we come to the altar. The altar is the life-giving tomb of Christ. You know, when you come to Matins, I know all of you do, and you see the priest standing on the side of the altar, did you know that? That at Matins he doesn't read the gospel text from the front of the altar, nor at the altar facing you. He reads it at this side here, facing that way. Come next Sunday and test me to see if I'm right. And you know why he does that? Because he's standing at the foot of the tomb. That's the tomb of Christ. There's a beautiful antimens, an icon on on that altar of Christ entombed. For that's the life-giving tomb. That's where our life is. It's, It's the very power of his life given through his resurrection. And that's where the gifts are laid. And we offer them to God. Thine own of thine own. And we take ourselves and we put them on that paten, that disc with the bread on it, and we offer it to God 
and God gives it back to us with his love and with his power and with his mercy and with his grace. And then we come to partake of it. We take of the body and blood of Christ and we are renewed. Our sins are forgiven. We're given power to live the Christian life. We taste the medicine of immortality. Come and see. Come and see. Get excited about coming. There's so much to experience. There's so much here. You know, if, it, it would be like we should be like a kid at our first time in Disneyland. I don't want to make that kind of sloppy analogy, but we should be that excited. Wow! I get to come and see St. Nicholas. I can't wait to kiss the hand of St. Ephraim the Syrian and to ask the Mother of God to pray for me. You see how much we have to light that candle, to smell the incense, the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the prayers of the saints going up. All of this is for us, beloved. So come and see. Come and see. And when we begin to do this, we begin to then enter how we are to be saved, how we are to live this life, this Christian life. For so much sits before us, and at times it seems confusing. And even the Apostle Paul kind of showed how we live in a contrary way to the way of the world. He says that the Apostle was a fool but he would be wise. He was weak, but would be strong. He was of disrepute, but would find honor. You know, did you get that sense during this election time that we were kind of in a, there was a war going on? Like there was a, a, a war of opinion and principle? And that if you stood on one side of it, you, you were attacked? due to your principles. And if you stood on the other side, maybe you were attacked by the other side. You know, I believe as Christian people, we need to stand for what is right and for what is good. But I believe it's most important not to stand simply on principle or opinion, but we stand with good example. With good example. You know, I will say this. If we are to stand for marriage, we need to have good marriages. To say we stand for marriage and not have good marriages, that's hypocrisy. I stand for marriage. How many times have you been I've been married four times. I stand for marriage. Well, that's good. That's not a very good stand for marriage. Beloved, we are not called to preach to the world in principle, although we will. We are most called to preach to this world in example. That's what changed the world. It wasn't the preaching of the apostle, it was the example of the apostle. You know, St. Catherine did an incredible thing in her life. She defeated 50 of the greatest philosophers of her day. But it wasn't that particularly that converted them. 
It was her tenacity and her willingness to stand up even to her own death for her Savior and never compromise her position as a Christian woman. She converted those 50 philosophers. She converted the jailer's uh, uh, wife and then 200 people in jail and thousands of people in the community. Why? Because she said some nice things? No, because she was a great Christian example. We are called, beloved, to be examples of Christ. And we need to stand up for the principles, but we have got to be very careful of how we go out and preach without example. So stand, have a good marriage. Marriage is important. But use the example of your marriage is so much greater than what we say about it. So understand that, yes, we may stand up and preach, and it may sound like foolishness. It may be, we may be of disrepute when we speak. We may seem as weak and backward people. But, beloved, if our example is strong, our example is good, we will be eventually seen as wise, strong, and honored. That will happen. So we are called, beloved, as the Apostle says, and I'll end with these. If we come and see God, if we come and we are touched by God and are changed by God, when we are reviled, we will bless. When we're reviled, we will bless. You know, there's a beautiful prayer that I pray uh, for all the many people that I've offended. Uh, it's, Lord, let them not perish through me, a sinner. That's what I pray. pray for them. Let them not perish, perish through me, a sinner. I pray for them. You should, anybody that you offend and struggle with, that's, your, that's what your prayer should be. Let them not perish through me. And when we're persecuted, we endure. And we need to learn, as Christian people, learn how to get up. Because persecution can simply be that we're tempted. We're tempted by the devil. We're persecuted by the devil. We're tempted. We need to learn how to get up. And get up quickly. Get up in repentance. Get up in humility. We don't get up to fight. We get up in humility. We fall. We're persecuted. We learn to get up and keep fighting the good fight. Do the next good thing. Move forward in the Christian life. You know, sometimes we make it so complicated, and it's really not very complicated because God's not going to put a whole bunch of stuff in front of you after you repent and you get up. He's going to give you one little thing to do right. Just look for that one thing to do and do it right. You know, I, I've done this way too many times in my uh, life, uh, in, in my marriage, and I'll expose myself a little bit here, and I get mad, I get a little upset at my wife, which I thank God doesn't happen as much anymore. Um, I think I'm just too old and tired anymore. I, think <laughs> I don't think it's to have anything to do with virtue. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. You know, and I think you've all come to that spot where, you know, you've, you've, you've maybe sinned against your loved one or someone in your family. 
and you know that, and you feel it in your heart that all, you need to go say you're sorry. That's the next good thing. It's that simple. It's not a big deal. You're sorry for what you did. Now go tell them you're sorry. Go say you're sorry. And how hard that is to do sometimes. No, I'll wait for her. I'll wait her out. No, don't wait her out. Go tell her. The great thing, I mean, this is a, this is a, I've actually used this in marriage counseling. <laughs> I went to her one time and I said, Honey, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And she turned around and looked right at me. She says, Not yet. <laughs> and she was right. She was right on the money. Because I needed to do a little bit more than just say that. But, that some, but, but, we, but it was that next good thing. Do the next good thing when you get up. And finally, what says when we're slandered, we conciliate. So if we come to see God, and we touch that very, his very presence, and we live this life uh, as examples, and when we revile, we're blessed. When we're persecuted, we endure. And we're slandered, we conciliate. We try to bring peace to other people. We live a life of peace. There's a great prayer in uh, the book of Needs. Instill in us the fear of you. Confirm in us love for one another. Extinguish every dispute. And banish all temptation to dis disagreement. For you are our peace. You pray that. When you find yourself slandered or struggling in that area, you pray that prayer. Beg God to help you bring peace. Beg him to do that. It's where he is. It's what he wants in this world. Peace. So we have a great opportunity, beloved, as Christians in this world, to come and see Christ as the apostles did to live this great Christian life as examples to this world and to then respond in Christian ways to all that's put before us and keep it simple. Don't look too far down the road. God today will give you several things that you need to respond to in a good Christian way. They're not going to be complicated, but they'll be there. So pay attention to them as you pay attention to the Lord when you come into the church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.